Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Hearts, a New Who podcast. My name is James. And I'm CJ, and this is the only podcast where we didn't come up with a little line because this is totally off the cuff. Welcome to A Night with James and CJ Unplugged. Unplugged, uncensored, and uninhibited. Tonight we are, we're doing something that we've been meaning to do for a long time. We are finally, um, we're just going to riff on our feelings on, I guess, the Chibnall era as a whole. Uh, We had originally kind of intended to do this as a Series 12 recap, but, um, you know, thanks to the lovely people at the Bebe Sir. um, Oh, sorry about the dog there. I'm also house-sitting for my sister at the moment, so there might be a dog in the background occasionally, but again... You know, uncensored. It's all happening, man. Um, As I was saying, thanks to our friends at the BBC, there is actually no way for us to currently um, stream Series 12 of Doctor Who uh, without purchasing it. And I don't know if we've given you the impression that we're the kind of fans that would spend money on this show, but we're not. We're poor. We're so poor. (laughs) Chibno, if you could wire me $45 to buy your your latest season of television, I would happily accept that trade. But um, this is the hand we've been dealt. And so we figured what we would do is just kind of like, you know, not go for very long, just have a quick riff on um, our feelings in general about this new era of the show as we come into the upcoming special, which I believe is still called Revolution of the Daleks. Um, And uh, yeah... Yeah, I think you've hit it on the head there, James. This is going to be a very freewheeling discussion. There's no structure. We haven't done any show notes. We're just going to put all of our preemptive thoughts about Chris Chibnall's Doctor Who into an episode. Primarily because I think that this particular era of the show is one of the reasons why we started doing this podcast. Um, Earlier this year, James rediscovered Doctor Who through season 12 of Doctor Who through my urging him to watch it. And I think one of the, what was I said to you? I said, it's, it's unlike anything you've ever seen before. And I meant that. (laughs) Yeah. I I distinctly remember, um, I watched Spyfall part one and two. And by that point it was, um, uh, I think like uh, roughly like 1130 at night. And I messaged CJ and I was like, Hey, that was a whole thing. Um, you know, should I watch the next one, Orphan 55? Because I'd heard that Orphan 55 was um, uh, quite the discussed episode. And CJ just messaged me back and like, it is definitely unlike anything you've seen before. And um, I watched it that night. I ended up... That was the first time I ever started actually taking notes during Doctor Who. I pulled out my notes app and started feverishly writing things down because I was in um, a certain kind of awe at at what I was watching that night, I would say. And I know that it's become kind of like the joke to dunk on Orphan 55. um, And I, I... I personally think with good reason. Um, I don't want that to be kind of the establishing tone moving forward in our conversation about the Chibnall era, uh, but it it is worth noting that while it successfully got me back into watching Doctor Who, um, we have some very complicated feelings about uh, his time with the show. And it's also fair to say that his time with the show obviously is not done. It's still unfolding. We're about to see a new special, Revolution of the Daleks, and then also a new season featuring just Jodie and... um uh, Mandip Gill as Yaz. So, you know, this is very much a discussion ongoing because Chris Chibnall, it's funny because like we're, we're two, we're two seasons in and I still feel like we have yet to really get at what his era of the show 
is about, if anything. Um, James, did you want to deal with that dog? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. And I do think that that is um, primarily our biggest criticism of it is that... Um, you know, by the time that you were done with uh, series two of uh, Russell's era or of Stephen's era, look at me using first names as if we're uh, buddy buddies <laughs> with these uh, writers. Um, I think by the time that you were done with those shows runners second season, for better or worse, you were starting to get a clear vision of what they wanted to do with the show. Um, and so, you know, like we've, we've re- obviously recently just done season two of Russell T Davies's time with it. And, um, you know, there's there's a certain kind of like you know uh, adoration that shines through in his writing of the Doctor uh, with Stephen Moffat's. Uh, by the time we were done with uh, what season six of his, I suppose, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on there with Amy and the and the timey wimey stuff, and uh, you know, his particular brand of fairy tale kind of uh, uh, magic or whatever you want to call mm. it. Um, and then I look at what Chibnall has done with his two seasons, and I think the main issue here is that they are two drastically different seasons, and Series 12, to me, feels like the direct product of um, too much fan feedback. I 100% agree with that. It's Season 12 feels like a direct response to a very clear indication like with Chibnall's like mission statement was we're not doing any returning elements apart from literally the TARDIS and the sonic screwdriver the rest you know this is going to be a fresh show a real fresh start for the show because there was a lot of crossover I think between Russell and Stephen Moffat um like their two eras are inextricably linked um because coming from David Tennant who was arguably the most popular doctor to have ever lived, um, there needed to be a lot of familiarity and like, don't worry, it's the same show. That that same indication, that, that wasn't the same um, intention, I think, with when Chibnall came on board, literally by casting the very first female doctor, uh, like bona fide canon female doctor, um, it's an in, it, that was an, as good an indicator as any that this was gonna be a fresh era of the show. And obviously that had a a lot of blowback. The fandom, for one reason or another, weren't happy that there weren't many returning elements. And granted, this is all speculation, but, you know, Chibnall's response, it seems with what he did with season 12 was, you want returning elements? Well, have all this (laughs) shit. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, exactly right. Um, And so the... You can really look at his time so far with the show and subsequently, unfortunately, Jodie's time with the show uh, as, you know, there's series 11 and there's series 12 um, and they're completely different beasts. Um, And so subsequently, we obviously have a lot of complicated feelings across what's happened uh, with with these two seasons. Um, The fan feedback stuff is... um, it, It... it unfortunately, it kind of reminds me of what happened with the Rise of Skywalker, where you know you've got like a a hard left turn for a beloved franchise, which is what he did with Series Eleven. Whether whether it worked for you personally or not, um, I don't think that anybody could possibly deny that um, it was a definitive, bold choice that was made. You know, he said we're going to do something different and we're going to stick to our guns on this, and they did it. It was a full season of. Um, 
you know, stories that felt uh, barely even aesthetically familiar. Like, I think that what happens with Series 11 is, like, you see a major jump in a lot of the production values. You've obviously got a woman in the role now, which fundamentally changes the show. And you've abandoned a lot of the uh, iconography and nostalgia baiting that uh, Moffat and RTD relied on quite a bit. Um I see parallels to that in what happens with The Last Jedi. I think obviously The Last Jedi is um, a little bit more conscious of its place within a a wider story and whatnot and can't make as clean a break being the second film in a trilogy. Um, And then if you look at the way that fans, uh, quote unquote fans, um, reacted to these uh, new takes on a classic media franchise, um, it is with overwhelming toxicity. And it's unfortunate that the creative leads in charge of these things um, are beholden to the kind of, um, uh, what is it, like focus testing, uh, very capitalist driven, you know, hey, if we're not getting the ratings, we're not getting the money. And if we're not getting the money, why are we doing this uh, brand of creativity where, you know, as long as you're pulling in those uh, old school fans and whatnot, they don't really mind what you're doing. But if, if those people are leaving, then they're going to want to course correct, unfortunately. And, you know, I think that obviously happened with The Rise of Skywalker and it it very obviously to me happened with Series 12. Despite the fact that Series 12 ends with one of the most baffling retcons to canon I've ever seen in my life. It's a weird mixed bag. Hmm. And um, I think we're going slightly into, um, you know, assumed knowledge territory. We We don't know if that's the reason for sure, but obviously it appears that way on the surface. Um... But we should we should talk about I think let's just let's start with what what works with Chibnall's approach and what what doesn't and I think probably a good place to begin in the what works category would and all, and by that same token what doesn't would be um, Jodie Whittaker and the very first female Doctor we've seen on, on Doctor Who. Yeah, uh, Jodie is the absolute perfect place to start with this because she is. Um, like literally historic in the role. Uh, and, you know, you and I have both alluded to the fact before that uh, it's it's not Jodie Whittaker in the role that you and I are struggling with um, because I think we both think of her quite highly as an actress. Uh, her work on Broadchurch was, was quite fantastic. I really enjoyed her in Black Mirror. Uh, and I think she even has really good moments in the role as the Doctor herself. Um, the issue for us is it always seems to boil down to that the script is across two seasons now, just flat out refusing to truly develop her as the doctor. Mm. There is like a base. Uh, she has like a stat sheet for like a D and D character, you know, where there's like a couple of dot points about like, you know, she's super positive. She loves helping people and she's a bit awkward. Um, and that's a really good place to start. And I think Jodie Whittaker plays those things really well. Uh, the problem is that, it hasn't gone anywhere with that. You know, yeah. I don't, I don't get a sense for who Jodie's doctor is. Uh, and I think it's because Chibnall doesn't quite know who Jodie's doctor is. I think Chibnall's playing a very, uh, risk adverse game when it comes to this doctor. And, you know, let's take context and history into consideration. This is an, this is a historic decision on, not only his part, but the BBC's to finally cast a woman in this role that has been the subject of debate years and years on years. Um, it passed doctors even weighing in and saying that, you know, the doctor should only be a man like bullshit like this. 
Um, the actual, uh, just fun little bit of history. The start of even the concept of a female doctor was uh, spurred off by Tom Baker, um, who, when he left the role, really? yeah, and when he left the role, he because he's a little bitch um because he when he left the role <laughs> he said oh you know i wish uh the man or woman who follows me all the best of luck or something like that um oh i remember this. yeah yeah and everyone was like "Ooh, it's gonna be a woman and then obviously it took 20 30 years before that even happened um yeah. even longer actually if i anyway um so this has been going on for ages and obviously with that comes a ton of expectation about, A, about how it should be done, just generally, at like topic points amongst the community. But like every single person has an individual expectation of what the first female doctor should be like and what they should do. And so, with that in mind, I think you and I can only come at it from what would be, what would have our ex- expectations of the, this kind of doctor have been? And for me personally, uh, and this is where it comes into the, like, I think Chris Chibnall's uh, risk adverse, I would have preferred a, this doctor's identity to literally be shaped because I love realism and tragedy and blah, blah, blah. Um, I would have loved for this doctor's identity to be shaped by the sexism and prejudice that they would have experienced. And maybe that's extreme. Hearing that come out of my mouth sounds like extremely, uh, like easy for me to say, I don't know what that reality would be like. I I couldn't even comment, but social justice, social justice warrior inside of me thinks if you're going to have a female doctor, I would have liked to have seen a female doctor actually grapple with the change in gender and the realities of that change in gender. And Chris Chibnall's approach has not been to do that. It has been to go in the opposite direction, perhaps wisely, and to say, don't worry, nothing's changed. This is still the same person. But by doing so uh, has meant that he's fallen back on a lot of easy tropes and characterization when it comes to the doctor and failed. I mean, that's like loaded language, but I do genuinely mean it like failed to give this doctor a unique personality where it counts. I think there are moments and like specific traits of uniqueness that come from Jodie Whittaker's performance and from uh, choices made by Chris Chibnall as a writer, but I don't really think they add up to anything of, particular note um yeah i i do really understand the angle that you're approaching that from because when you look at the end result that we've gotten um and this is something that i said to you um uh during our our watch of series 12 but like because he's run so far because chibnall has run so far in the opposite direction of um defining this doctor as a woman um he has also just shaved off all of the complexities that that would bring um you know there isn't much in here like i don't get the vibe that she relates to yaz 
in like uniquely as a woman in the way that like uh you know david tennant and um uh noel clark interacted right mm. you know there was like that camaraderie that broship because it was shared between two men um and i think you know for better or worse uh rtd and moffat's runs with the show have been uh very gendered like very yeah. gendered with the doctor very much so. um and so to take such a hard left turn into this um like I hesitate to use the term sexless because I don't want that to come up. See, I hesitate to use a term like that because I also don't want to, uh, I don't want to come across as if like, you know, um, the doctor needs inherent sexuality to make them a fully realized character. Uh, because I don't think that's the case. I, I think that, you know, um, whether it's asexual or uh, whatever they are on the spectrum, like it doesn't need to be um, a particularly like sexy thing, you know, for the mm. doctor to be. It's just that because so much of the modern era has been defined by romance and sexuality, uh, to shift gears this hard and to only do it when it becomes a woman, uh, is the part that I find difficult to sort of process in my brain because we are unfortunately part of a culture that is, um, uh, very good at denying women's sexuality when they are put into quote-unquote hero roles yeah i mean we're not uh yeah there's definitely in society a tendency to over sexualize women in very specific circumstances and then the rest of the time be like you have to be a chaste virgin um yeah and sci-fi has just as bad a relationship with that. I think the history of women in sci-fi has dramatically improved like over the years, but it's, yeah, there's, there aren't a dearth of heroic roles for women in speculative fantasy sci-fi genre television. And especially in Doctor Who, because Doctor Who, and in our discussions of Rose, for instance, uh, we've noted that perhaps we've been looking back at some past episodes with rose-tinted glasses and, you know, it, the oh. depiction of women, I know, <laughs> I know, um, uh, has never been, you know, quite up to scratch the way that we thought it was. Um so, you know, there's a, there's a vast, there's a, there's a history that predates this decision. And it would have been good to see the show grapple with that history, but instead it has flat out denied it, which isn't a bad impulse necessarily, but it would, it, it hasn't been replaced by anything. It's, it's just, I think in a lot of ways, Chris Chibnall's yeah. approach was, don't worry, this is still the same show and has stacked the show Whilst, whilst admittedly having a renewed focus on characters and uh, social themes uh, and a new look and a new feel, uh, it's also been expertly traditional in that, that first season especially. And that's something we can get to when we actually discuss well, in, the episodes In regards themselves. to characterization of the Doctor. With regards to characterization of the Doctor, the asexuality that you bring up is very apt because that was the his the sorry that was the character throughout the entire of the classic run um this mm. the classic setup of three companions and a doctor is very 60s and the storytelling is very rote and by the numbers in that first season and 
yeah, it's... Uh, I would push back on that a little bit because, I mean, I... On the whole, I don't love series 11. I think there's there's some, some real stinkers in there. Um, but I think that it occasionally is quite bold in its storytelling and in how... Um, uh, well, actually, I, I guess uh, to contextualize this pushback, like... I, I Well, yeah, but I'm comparing it to, like, all of New Who, whereas you're comparing it to all of Who, if that makes sense. So when sure. I look at what Series 11 does with some of its episodes, like It Takes You Away or Rosa or Demons of the Punjab, uh, I look at those stories and I think this is uh, remarkably restrained and mature for the context of New Who. Uh, and obviously I can't compare it to, the, like, the full sort of history of the show. Um, but I think that criticisms of Chibnall's writing of the Doctor um, are a separate thing from the storytelling of Series 11. I think the storytelling in Series 12 is where we start looking at very rote, very um, by the numbers, almost like mechanically precise uh, well, sci-fi storytelling. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't argue with that. And I don't think there's a particularly even even remarkable episode amongst season 12. There are remarkable moments and story beats, don't get me wrong. But, like, I don't view any episode in season 12 as this is an all-time classic. Again, personal no, opinion, no, subjective no. opinion, but that's what you're here to listen to, listeners. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Like it's, it's literally our show to talk about this. So like, well, yeah, I mean, and then look, I feel like this is a good thing to bring up before we dive a bit further into, uh, Jody in the role, but like, um, this is obviously just a completely subjective opinion of, of two fucking gay dudes just having a chat about Doctor Who, you know, like this isn't, you know, we're not authorities on fandom. We, we're not certainly under the impression that our opinion or our point mm. of view or perspective is even remotely the only one out there. Mm. Um, we're just, engaging with this show and I, and I would hope that across like these past um sort of two series that we've talked about already that uh you folks listening do have an appreciation for the fact that like we might be harsh critics sometimes but we are fundamentally coming from this in good faith and from a place of love like we both love this show i just watched all of series three in like three days i'm out of my mind happy to be talking about and engaging with doctor who again and so when we say things like you know series 12 doesn't have any remarkable episodes it's not it's not coming from the same place of like, oh, well, you know, there's a woman in the role, so we hate the show now. No. And I think that making that distinction and allowing for good faith criticism to exist is how you get to better storytelling in the long run. A hundred percent. And that's something I didn't note before and definitely want to reiterate now is that I find Jodie Whittaker utterly charming, both on and off camera. And I think that the Doctor that she has got sculpted out of the material she's been given has been of a level of previous Doctors. Um, you know, she's just as iconic and just as lovable. And um, nothing that we say, like like James says, like, have, yeah, this is a good faith conversation about about our feelings on this era of the show, but it isn't coming from a place of hatred or a place of prejudice or sexism. Oh, fuck no. Because, like, we we really want this show to be as, like, balls-to-the-wall, progressive, exciting, and new as possible. Like, we both love Doctor Who, and nothing would make us happier than, like, 
a queer Doctor Who. You know what I mean? Like, or just anything to really like keep pushing it into new exciting territories, which is why like last week we said, you know, the concept of having Mandip Gill and Jodie Whittaker at the helm of this show is so exciting to us. Well, it's another historic moment. It's an all-female cast for the first time. That's mm, bonkers. Definitely. I think that the only, and, and to, to sort of be back onto the topic of the show, um, I think that the issue with that is that while it's going to be iconic and historic to have these two women leading the show, you've still got a straight white man mm. running the show. And one of like my ongoing issue with Chibnall's time as showrunner isn't necessarily that I dislike Chibnall. It's that I think that Jodie deserved to have a woman as showrunner uh, or a person of colour or a queer person or somebody who could bring a perspective that isn't the same one we've had for the past however long with the show. And, like, obviously Russell T, um, being being a queer man, did bring some of himself to the show and we're incredibly grateful for the, the pushes and strives that he did make on, um, during his time. Um, but I think that when you've got something as revolutionary as a woman now leading the show in front of the camera uh you Mm. need to make sure that behind the camera you have minds at play who are going to be writing this character in such a way that is going to as as cj's been talking about actually engage with the importance of what's going on here yeah um you said something interesting to me recently because as you mentioned you've been re-watching season three and you noted that the first episode of the of the revival that was written by a woman, which is the Dalek two-parter in Manhattan from that season, you noted that you felt like the conversations between the two prominent women characters, Martha and Tallulah, uh, felt the most genuine that a conversation between two women has been on the show up to that point. And I found that a very... Um, Having not revisited those episodes, I couldn't uh, verify that. Um, But I found that a very kind of apt observation on your part. And um, we could extend that out to how we feel about this this era of the show and how its writers have treated uh, and dealt with Jodie Whittaker as a female doctor. And, you know, you're absolutely right to say, I think Chris Chibnall was a safe choice, ultimately. Um, it's, this is sidebar, but, you know, he, he didn't exactly write any standout episodes of Who before joining as a showrunner. So the, that's a whole discussion in itself. Um, but he is only responsible for, he's responsible for the arc and direction of the show, but for the actual writing, he's responsible for only a handful of those episodes. And I think if I was to look at, you know, there are a significant number of Jodie's episodes who are written by women, significant in the in the sense that the show has not featured women writers at all <laughs> in any great number, and that changed with Chibnall. And there is one there is one particular episode that at least does have, I think, a very um, I don't want to say genuine again, but a very genuine and uh, lived experience uh, perspective when it comes to writing Jodie, and that's uh, The Witchfinders, the, written by Joy Wilkinson. I think it's Joy Wilkinson. Um, because that is an episode that truly, uh, truly, truly understands 
the concepts of patriarchy and how women function in a patriarchal society. It's a really, it's one of uh, 20 that have been written for so far, but it, you know, it's, there, there are examples of it. It's just not overall. No, exactly right. And like the witch finders is a really good example of this because like it is a episode that explicitly tackles, uh, patriarchy and sexism and, and, uh, assumptions about, Mm. about, uh, people, let's say. Um, and I, I think it's quite successful in that respect. Um, and I really enjoyed what, uh, uh, she did with it. Um, and then, by contrast, you look at Spyfall, where you get that one scene um, where she's like, oh, same doctor, had an upgrade, and that's the extent of it. Mm. Um, and you just wonder, uh, again, if a if just an entirely new perspective had been applied to running the show, uh, not just writing individual episodes of it. Like if you gave a woman the opportunity to truly dictate the progression and uh, direction that Jodie's doctor goes in, uh, would we have gotten something that is a little bit more defined and a little bit more, um, you know, connected to the fact that she, she is a woman now. And it doesn't even need to be in the sense that every single episode deals with the fact that, this doctor is now a woman, but I think what we're driving at and what we're circling around with this, with this particular conversation is just having a female showrunner would mean that all of these things, it, they wouldn't need to be the focus because all of these things would be working in the background anyway, you know? Um, which again is easy for me to say, and I don't know if that's true or not, but, um, what do you think, James? Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. It would just... Yeah, I, I just think we'd be dealing with a very different iteration of the show. And mm. um, and this is I think this is a really good opportunity for us to kind of, like, uh, expand our circle now and have a look at the companions as well. Um, because mm. the conversations that we are having about um, Chibnall's characters... I can't imagine they're the conversations that they wanted us to be having. Um, and I know, obviously, I can only speak to my perspective. There are so, so many countless people out there who, who adore these characters. But I do get the sense from what I do see on social media and whatnot that um, even people who like these characters, I mean, we like these characters, um, you still can't help but kind of talk about the fact that, like the Doctor, um, there is very little definition... Mm to uh, Yaz in particular. Graham and Ryan, um, I think, have fared relatively well on the whole. I was just thinking to myself then, how, what would, if you, someone posed you the question, what makes these companions individually and as a group different from other companions? I'd be very hard-pressed to think of defining traits that set them apart. And I mean that in the sense, like, not in relation to their relationships with each other, because what we see with Ryan and Graham and their development together is truly unique and a really successful aspect of season 11. But if I look at all three of them individually, I can't see anything that I've not seen before. And that isn't necessarily a problem, because obviously, like, Doctor Who thrives on repetition as much as it thrives on change. And all companions need to have essential elements to be successful companions. Um, but 
what we have not seen with these three is a progression beyond the initial stages of wonderment and discovery that comes with becoming a companion. It feels like they're still, and I think I said this earlier in the episode, um, this, it feels like we're still on the precipice of finding out who these people are, but we're two seasons in mm-hmm. and we're still on that precipice and we haven't taken the plunge. And, you know, that's, that is a big problem because, and it, it also because like, if I look back at season 11 and I think about the woman who fell to earth, which is an episode that I have genuine problems with. I can't deny how excited I was meeting all those characters for the first time and, and thinking where we could go. And I'm still thinking that. I mean, yeah, that's exactly it. Like you put it perfectly. Like it still feels like we're waiting to jump with these companions. Um, and despite the fact that, you know, there are some like standout storylines that they have been involved in, in series 11, um, with the exception, I mean, well, here's the thing, like, even the best of their storylines individually. So, you know, uh, Yaz theoretically has a character spotlight in Demons of the Punjab. Um, Ryan and Graham do have their ongoing arc, which, as we've said, is successful. Um, but still taken as a whole, I I don't feel anything. And I know that's such a subjective way of sort of like putting this across to uh, you folks listening at home, but um, there's just very little to grasp onto other than, like with the Doctor herself, what feels like a Wikipedia article of personal information about these people without the uh, dramatic work to back it up. Well, it's interesting. You just said something that sparked something in my mind, which is about... um I don't think if I could, I don't think I could make the same claim of of Ryan and and Graham, but with Yaz, she has had a few episodes which are Yaz centric, but they're not on the progression of or journey of a story. They're little bumps in the road of the overall story. That, like for instance, Demons of the Punjab, which is not an episode that I think furthers or deepens our understanding. Not. Maybe it does deepen our understanding of Yaz, but it doesn't further her along a journey necessarily. It's an addition to what we already know about her. And then we get an episode like Can You Hear Me, which, you know, has little bumps in the road for each companion. But again, it's not it's not a bump on a journey towards anything. It's like, oh, here's something else you didn't know about Yaz. Here's something else you didn't know about Ryan. And it's not... I, I don't feel like we're building up to anything or that there's been any progression from where they were to where they are now. We're still on the this is amazing kind of route with these companions. And it's not... Like, if I would... I mean, we have... Okay, let's be compared perfectly honest. With companions, we have been perfectly spoilt for... Like, with uh, companions like Clara, Bill, um, Donna. People... Characters who've had definable well-realized arcs from beginning to finish. And and as I'm saying it, I'm also realizing that we also have kind of had that with Ryan and Graham, but then they went on to have another season anyway. Mm. Yeah. Because, I mean, Series 11 as a uh, meditation on grief and loss is quite effective i think uh i think there is a a running theme through a lot of those episodes that really works to back up um the stuff that's going on with graham and ryan um 
And that, to me, comes to a really nicely satisfying conclusion with uh, the Battle of Ransacor. Pa 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 la pa 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 pa. Um, and and I I really enjoyed um the story that I went on with them. I remember at the end of um it takes you away when he calls him uh, grandpa for the first time. Uh, I I had a little tear in my eye. Like I thought that was a really lovely, sweet moment, especially given what that episode puts those boys through. Jesus Christ. Um, so. I, I do feel like we got a complete arc with them. And then, as you've said, though, the problem is that they go on to also be there for series 12. And I'm glad that Chibnall seems to have now realized that, you know, he's kind of done what he can with those two. Uh, because hopefully once they step away, we we will get to see Yaz have an actual arc other than what you, like, the way we've just been describing it, which is like uh, little vignettes in the, in the story of Yaz's life, which don't feel like mm. they're adding up to anything. Um, and and I, I think the, the biggest issue with that stuff is um, her backstory, which we'll get to in a second. Um, I, I did just want to like pick up on something else that you, you said before we kind of move on with this as like, it's the same with the doctor herself. It's that whole, um, the sense of wonder and excitement of seeing new places and saving the world paired with the earnest, good natured, Oh, come on. We're all just a big old fam here. Like that stuff isn't a problem when it's paired with drama and, uh, tension and character development and pushing and pulling on those ideals. And I feel like, across the two series, they've just done very little to actually progress them beyond um, base traits, you know? Yeah, because those scenes of, which are many, like, of this, of one or all of the companions noting that they're a family, would have far greater impact and far more um, dramatic weight if they had come at the result of a threat to that family. But there's never any kind of tension between any of the characters. There's no disagreement. The closest we get to it is, uh, I think, in the Battle of Ranskorev Collis when um, Graham says, you know, I'm going to kill Tim Shaw and I don't care if I get kicked off the TARDIS because of it. You know, he, he deserves to die. That's about the closest we get to it. And even then, it's largely, like, from that point on, the Doctor and... Graham don't even interact, I think, for the rest of the episode. So it, there's never an ongoing uh, tension between the two of them over a potential fallout in their relationship. It, it, it this, It's, I think, quite lazy and just, again, falling back on tropes of Doctor Who to, to just constantly have the characters reiterate that they're a family. You can have them say that a million times. It doesn't matter as long as... But if we don't believe that they are, it counts for nothing. Um, one other thing I did just want to say that you that sparked my memory from what you were saying before is... Uh, you know, Graham's... Uh, Graham is a, a relatively well-fleshed-out character, and I feel like I understand who he is and what, how he, what he's motivated by and what his, like, uh, reasons for travelling are. But then I think about, like, Ryan, for instance. And, like, we, we, you and I have joked in the past about how Ryan's arc in season 12 basically amounts to, you know, getting off a basketball in, in the hoop. <laughs> and, you know, it's something that's hinted at in the first episode. 
rep- it repeats again in the last and there's just nothing in between. And, like, when I add to this that Ryan has dyspraxia, um, you know, that, that uh, immediately you can see that there would be something in there about, like, this, you know, in a very Chibnall way of having a season-long arc for this character be just achieving a small task, like getting a basketball in a hoop or riding a bike or whatever the case may be. But it's not. And it's an aspect of his character that's introduced and then discarded the way that Yas being a cop is introduced and discarded and not done anything with. The way that Graham's cancer is introduced and, you know, peppered here and there. But really, there's just... there's It's all, as I said before, it's little bumps in the road, but they don't add up to anything and they don't make for memorable journeys or characters. That's the end of my thesis. (laughs) (laughs) No, like, I I completely agree with everything you've just said. Like, um, Yaz's... Again, like, it's all of their backstories, though. It's, um... They're building blocks, but they're not building to anything. Um, You know, there are situations where uh, you've got very specific instances in these episodes where it would be interesting to see, given these characters' histories, how they react to a certain thing and whatnot. And then so often it's just played as like a little goof or a gag or or if it's even acknowledged at all. Um, And so because of that, it makes them difficult to relate to as uh, fully constructed characters um, when they do just feel like they exist to do the requisite, you know, you two go off here and push this button, you two go off here and push this button, then we're going to come back together, hug it out in the TARDIS and say, gosh, it's good to have a fam, ain't it? And it's like, yeah, it is, but why? Like, (laughs) you know, I'm, and I find that really frustrating because I don't want to make a joke about uh, Ryan's arc being throwing a basketball through a hoop because that feels fundamentally shitty but it feels even shittier to me that the show just doesn't seem to give a shit about the characters it's created um, it doesn't want mm. to touch on the fact that like you know we had a whole episode about how um, Yaz when she was a teenager had a really serious mental health episode and it's just never talked about again it's not a thing you know you can't have these characters uh pulling on very real world things like uh you know um cancer death trauma uh, disabilities mental health um being a woman of color and being a police officer which is a massive fucking thing that the show is just not touching at all and mm. so when you list off all those things and you think like Chibnall's entire approach just seems to be oh but why would we care about any of that um don't you know the doctor is a mystery box now it just leaves the whole show, especially in series 12, feeling quite disingenuous. And I don't, I don't have that same feeling about series 11. Um, I'm, I'm quite warm on that season actually. Um, but series 12 is, is to me where I think we get into like the major issues now. Truly. And I think the worst thing that from what you've just said is for me is, you know, we have an episode like, can you hear me? Where we get a massive amount of stuff about Yaz's backstory we hear, we see her like running away, um, you know, potentially going to self harm. I don't know if that's in the episode or implied or uh, what. Um, and that's all well and good. But then next week, she's fine. You know, and even in, within the events of the episode, it doesn't really impact her relationship with anyone on the TARDIS. It's 
kind of treated like backstory, and it goes some way to explain why she's traveling on the sh- on the TARDIS, and to explain her desire to leave. But it it it, it isn't contributing to anything uh, ongoing, and that is a problem when you know. And it's we. Uh, even though we haven't seen Revolution of the Daleks, it's almost the same thing with the massive revelations we get about Jodie Whittaker at the end of season 12. Because uh, I don't know how they're going to address the timeless child mm. in this special. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, and I think talking about the timeless child is a, a very natural progression of the um, issues that, that we've now been sort of discussing across Jodie's characterization and uh, the lack of build up with these companions, because, uh, you know, he has in theory written a really fantastic wild concept here with uh, the idea that the time Lords stole their power from a uh, orphan from another race. Um, there's a lot of fertile ground that could be mined there. A lot of really good tension you could pull apart there. Uh, the problem is in the same breath that he does that, he also says, well, Gallifrey and all the Time Lords are gone, so you don't have to worry about mm. consequences. You don't have to worry about um, character drama. Nobody's going to have to answer for these crimes. And also, why would they even need to answer? Because don't you know the Timeless Child, the one that was stolen, is actually the Doctor, and she is already, by the end of that uh, finale two-parter, telling herself, like, it's fine, nothing changes, we're still just the Doctor. And that's a really sweet message. But both of those things combined completely sidesteps any semblance of consequence for this huge story beat. Yeah, I really fear that what we'll end up seeing with the Timeless Child is that the scene in the with Ruth in the Matrix where she says, you know, it doesn't matter what came before, you are you who you are now, and that's all that counts, is going to go a long way to <laughs> wrap up that story. And it shouldn't be. It should be, and I think it will be. I'm, I think you know we've we've got fears, but I think they'll largely be unfounded. Um, that you know this is the last we'll hear of the timeless children in relation to how it affects the Doctor's uh, sense of identity. I'm sure we'll see we'll see more stories that will go into the Doctor's backstory. And I got to agree with you. I don't necessarily um, hate that this idea i don't think it contradicts anything we already understood about the time lords about that society in fact it almost confirms their ultimate dickhead like status um and they're monsters they're monsters all the stuff in timeless children that depicted the rise their meteoric like rise uh as you know space capitalists and uh, people who have all dominion over time. Like it just, it totally tracks. And it also tracks with this very human view of the time laws. as just like very mortal creatures who decided to put themselves up above the gods. I mean, I love that stuff. The problem is that it, I mean, if I'm going to be completely honest, it feels completely unearned by the time in which it arrives and already coupled with a show that is, creatively struggling to strike out and find its new its own identity having this decision and making this decision for the show feels like even if it's not feels like a desperate grab at rel- relativity and again it's why we are uh 
I'm not going to say confident in the way that we talk about what he's done with series 12 versus 11, but like, you know, if he tried and he did, he tried to strike out and do his own thing in a much more subdued, emotionally focused series 11 with all original stories, all original villains. Uh, you know, I'd say 50, 50 on whether that was completely successful or not. Um, but then you look at like the, the backlash and the reaction to that. And so, I do understand when he sat down to write series 12, why it's so full of, you know, old references, old, old things. And then at the very end, he's like, well, let me take a swing here. Let, let's take a big swing with what we're doing with the show now. Um, and had that been at the end of another season like series 11, where there was a more consistent approach to characterization and tone of the show. Cause I think that if, you know, series 11 was a focus and a meditation on, on grief and whatnot. Um, and then if you moved into series 12 and had it be a ongoing meditation on identity and family. Um, and then at the very end of that season, you blow up the doctor's concept of their own identity and family. I think you could have had like a all timer, new step for the show uh because as cj and i both said we don't hate the idea like it, it's not inherently a a poor choice to make um but yeah just because of the way it's all come about it, it feels slapdash and it feels um it, it feels cheap in the way that a lot of series 12 feels cheap to me in the way that captain jack coming back felt cheap to me it's just it it just feels like they're in the corner and they've realized less and less people are looking at them. And so they've started yelling. Hmm. Uh, I really like that. That's very true. Um, yeah, I, I, I feel like I've reached a wall in terms of our discussion of Chris Chibnall, because what we've uh, unintentionally done with this discussion is, is, is just go further and further into the problems of this era. And I think that would do a disservice to, uh, to you uh, listener, because there's also a lot that we genuinely enjoy about this era, and most of it is tied to season eleven. Um, so, did we want to talk a bit more about what 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 works with the Chibnall approach? Uh, yeah, uh, I'm glad you brought that up because I don't think that's a really good way for us to wrap this up because, um, you know, we said before we started recording this, we didn't want to be predominantly negative, uh, but it would also be lying to you guys to say that like we are predominantly down on, on this current era of the show. Um, we're, we are disappointed by it more than anything else. And that, that does make us sad. Fortunately, um, there have been, as CJ said, especially in series 11, some real highlights. So I think we're just going to rapid fire through uh, the things that we are enjoying about this era of the show. Um, so I guess CJ, kick us off. Yeah, and I would like to start by going back to Jodie Whittaker because as I, we said before, I really like and vibe with Jodie Whittaker's performance. And I do um, want... Yeah, I was thinking about this, her character, the, like trying to get a grasp on what I wanted to say about her this morning. And something that kept popping up in my mind was the way that people constantly um, compare her to, to David Tennant and to the ten, uh, Tenth Doctor. Because I find... Um, I find Jodie and uh, 13th Doctor uh, in particular empathetic in a way that he kind of never was and energetic in a way that he also never was and eccentric in a way that he never was. Um, and one of the things I was sort of thinking about was the way in which this Doctor is so blunt for the 
purposes of good in some instances. And there's two particular moments that highlight this for me. And the first one is, uh, well, not, this isn't actually an example of a bluntness, but definitely empathy. And it comes across in the first episode with the, um, the way that that doctor immediately talks to and treats the people that she's just met with respect and emotional respect as well to the situation that's unfolding around around them is something that we haven't really seen from a doctor who's who upon regenerating is usually like oh i'm a time lord i don't know what's happening get out of my way um this doctor is so much more like come along for a ride i don't know what's going to happen but i have your hand through the whole thing and i really appreciate that about her character is that endless optimism that is I think I know that that was one of the defining kind of things that Chibnall and Whitaker wanted to do was have a doctor that was defined by their hopefulness and I think that strikes out and the other example I was thinking of was from the resolution special with uh, when uh, uh, Ryan's dad comes back and she just has that blunt like Ryan waited for you you didn't come back and it's that kind of protectiveness that comes across in an alien way, but not in a dismissive way that I find really refreshing with Jodie Whittaker's character. And I, yeah, like on the whole, Jodie Whittaker's performance has been good and I really do enjoy watching her as the Doctor. So that's a positive for me. Uh, yeah, I, I would like to um, uh, just echo everything CJ just said. Like I there's a lot to really like about her performance. Um, and it is a lot of stuff that she is herself bringing to the role. Um, so that, yeah, like Jodie as the doctor is a really, really good start to things. Um, and I think it's why you get some like series 11 has some of my favorite, not just episodes, but like doctor specific moments. Um, I remember when I, when I watched series 11, um, it takes you away is something that I've mentioned a few times before on the podcast. Um, and that is to me, one of the best doctor who episodes I've ever seen in my life. It is stunning in, in its exploration of of grief and its sci-fi concepts, its cinematography, the acting, the script, everything is just firing on all cylinders. Um, and it's, it's a stunning piece of uh, television and, especially for Jody, she gets this like and it's and it, i mean again it's because this is a script that allows her to have more depth than just oh gee isn't an adventure fun because this is not a fun adventure this is, is this is a fundamentally sad thing that they're experiencing and so because of that um her as like her, her version of the doctor here gets to be like kind of uh angry and disappointed in in humanity which i mean always elicits really interesting responses from the doctor um and then the inevitable oh not the inevitable the uh conclusion that kind of reveals that it's this uh creature called the Solitrax from um her childhood stories gets revealed as like the the quote-unquote monster of the week uh in this particular episode and her reaction to it is just the most earnest stripped back version of the doctor being like i've been searching and running my entire life for something new and you're finally here in front of me like you are something i could never have imagined being real but i can't stay here and it breaks my heart and so there's so much complexity going on in that moment and jody mm. plays it just that perfect balance of of wonder and sadness uh it's 
look if you if you watch nothing else or if you go back and rewatch nothing else from the Chibnall era it takes you away is just the thing that you should really be focusing on i think it's it's just a perfect episode of of doctor who um and highlights everything that i like about these uh characters totally i think i think that the best of this era is exemplified in that episode and you know there are so many good moments there's uh, so many good jody moments in that one but the one that uh, sticks out for me is um what the moment that you just talked about with especially the line where she says um you know, I've only just scratched the surface or just some, I, I, the way that she delivers that line just makes me weep exactly. internally. Um, and the other moment is when she's, is sorry. It, the other moment is when she's um, drawing on the, she says she's drawing the wall on the, uh, the map on the wall because there's a blind girl who's been left behind in this house they've visited. And, what she's actually done in this scene is write a list of instructions to the companions who she's leaving behind saying, if I can't find her father, make sure that she gets delivered to safety. And it's that kind of attention to the, like always, always, always thinking about the safety of the people around her. It's, it's, it's literally what defines this doctor. The other moment that sticks out in my mind is, is, you know, most, if not all doctors are, um, have a pivotal scene where they say, come along, we're going to have a great time. You can explore all of time and space. It's going to be amazing. But the way that that scene is written for this era of the show and for uh, the 13th Doctor is so good and new and fresh because she doesn't ever say to them, she doesn't ever say to them, I want you to come with me. They make that decision on their own and she makes, she says to them, make sure you're sure you won't become back the same mm. people. And it's that kind of, uh, that moment is, is, is really, really special for me because it represents a change of, uh, ideals and values for the show and the ways in which these companions and this team will work together. Um, and it's a really good ending actually to an okay episode. Um, Sorry, I kind of railroaded you there for a bit. Yeah, no, that's fine. It takes you away. Does that to me as well? Um, I could, I could literally talk about that episode forever. Um, we will, um, over the course of our show, um, actually get to fully discuss a lot of these episodes, and we're very excited to do that. Um, I guess just as like a, a quick rapid fire to finish us off, because um, we're <laughs> in classic two heart style, having some technical difficulties here. Um, it's. It's not an entirely successful series, series 11, uh, but I respect it for the, uh, the bold steps that it takes uh, and for the things that it chooses to think are important. Um, Rosa is an all-time historical, um, even if the, the villain of the week is a bit of a dud. Um, as we've already said, um, uh, Witches of Eastwick, whatever it's called, is a, a fun gendered jaunt that i think we really enjoy uh and demons of the punjab um made me actually uh ugly cry um so that is that's not nothing you know yes i uh demons of the punjab has so much going for it it's it's i think one of the better aspects of chris chibnall's uh first season and into his second season as well is a renewed interest in history and a renewed interest in unearthing situations and characters who have gone unnoticed. I mean, you know, season, uh, sorry, series 12 of 
Chibnall's era has, you know, two oft overlooked female historical figures in its second episode alone. And it, it, yeah, I think, I think that that educational aspect of the show, you know, has been by and large successful and on the whole served the drama of the series and not just been an excuse to have a history lesson. I think if I was going to have one more positive uh, to say about Chris Chibnall's era, it is that the show has never looked better and the increased production values and the money that's gone into getting at the anamorphic cameras that they've been using in the two series so far, I've really given it a, a cleanness and a cinematic quality um, that we haven't really seen up to that point. So it's sort of a case of, you know, put your money on the screen. <laughs> with Chibnall and it's it ha- yeah I, I really I love the art design and the look of the show in its current form yeah I, I completely agree with that um I was gonna say the other positive that uh I mean again another series 11 episode um I think that the writing of uh the ghost monument isn't all that fantastic um but I remember watching that episode and uh the moment that she sees the TARDIS again on that hill uh, and I mean, the TARDIS itself, the oh. way that it's designed this series uh, is is quite stunning. It's just, the show is aesthetically really thriving at the moment. Um, I mean, those title cards alone are maybe my favorite title cards in all of Doctor Who. Uh, it, it just looks so, so good. Um, and I know that you know, even if the writing sometimes lets me down, I am often going to be in for a, um, at least a visually interesting and occasionally emotionally resonant experience with, uh, Chibnall's era as it stands at the moment. And I think we are both, um, morbidly curious to see how he's going to come back with series 13. (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely, I'll be honest, like, obviously we've been seeing production uh, stills coming out and we've got Sontarans coming back. We've got Weeping Angels are now coming back and it looks as if we'll be going down the everyone's coming back route and eventually we'll have, you know, Nyssa coming out of a cupboard brandishing a gun, probably. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I echo you, James, in saying that I'm... I am, at the end of the day, a Doctor Who fan. We are Doctor Who fans. We're going to watch the show no matter what and I am always joyed to see Jodie on my screen and to see what's going to come up next. So I think if nothing else, we haven't lost our hope and our um, optimism when it comes to this show. And that's a good thing. Oh, no, never. I mean, look, if we've learned anything from the history of this show, um, if, (laughs) if, if we can get through the Matt Smith era and come out the other side with the same showrunner who then gives us Capaldi and Clara and Bill. I think it it proves that, you know, your initial attempts don't have to go on to define your legacy with the show. And, you know, you can, you can even be in conversation with the mistakes that you've made at the beginning. And so I, I would really, really like to see Chibnall Mm. go on to have a, like a Chibnall sense. Um, but equally, I would, I would uh, love for a, a woman to step into the role um, and for a, a, a truly bold direction uh, from, from an, a brand new showrunner would also make me excited as well. It's uh, Time will tell. It, it's exactly as CJ said. 
we're not coming into this um, in any sort of like a, like we, like we don't watch the show to dislike it. I guess is the best way I can put it. Um, every every time I sit down to watch Doctor Who, yeah. I leave everything on the ta- on the table and I just think. I want to have a good time here. Um, and so we'll always, always give any showrunner the benefit of the doubt. Um, so Christmas is going to be uh, <laughs> an interesting time. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, like, honest to God, I feel like it, this is also because we've been spending so much, a renewed focus on Doctor Who this year in particular, that I cannot wait to have new Doctor Who on my screen. And... If nothing else, I'm I'm thankful that you and I, James, have been able to recapture some of the magic of Doctor Who. So, you know, you don't need Doctor Who on air to be exactly to your liking for you to like it. Yeah, you know? I completely agree. And, that, and it doesn't ruin your understanding or liking of the show either. Uh, it, uh, to, any, to anyone who says that Doctor Who died in 2017 when she took over, go fuck yourself. Oh, yeah. Go fuck yourself right that- now. You have no imagination. <laughs> Let that be the definitive statement from uh, Two Hearts. As a, uh, when it comes to anybody who thinks that this new era of the show is not doing its best or not capturing people because it's a woman, get the fuck out. Yeah. Yeah. And um, on that note, I would love to end with a quote that I just found by um, 1980s uh, script editor Christopher H. Bidmead. While we're having technical issues in this episode, I pulled out some old Doctor Who magazines, randomly opened up to this page. I know you don't believe me, but this really, really did happen. And found this quote. And I think it sums up that ex- uh, that feeling that we've just expressed quite adequately, which is, he says... An audience that lacks the imagination to welcome a female Doctor Who is hardly equipped to enjoy anything at all about the show. And I mean, my God, it's a show about an alien that changes their face and travels in fucking time and space in a police box. Get over yourself. Exactly right. Exactly right uh as always i have been james you can find me on uh twitter <laughs> at omg more james and i have been cj and you can find me on twitter and instagram at theatricalum um if you had thoughts feelings about our uh if you want to respond to anything we've said about chris Chibnall, you can always get in touch with us um at I've forgotten the email. Please help me out, James. <laughs> or if you'd rather get in touch on social media, you can do so by reaching out on uh, Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. We are at Two Hearts Pod, the number two. Yes, we are. And we'll be back next week with a very special episode looking at a real favourite of mine, even though it does not hold up today, uh, The Runaway Bride. I actually would like to say on that note, I remember I signed off last week by being all like, oh, the Runaway Bride, that makes me want to run away. Um, in the interim, I've rewatched the Runaway Bride and turns out I really actually enjoyed it. So um, <laughs> I just wanted to let you guys know that uh, you can change your mind on things. It's fun. Yeah. Change your mind all the time. Never have strict opinions on anything. You just go nuts. Yep. On that well, note. <laughs> Uh, you have a lovely week, folks. Uh, we hope you're enjoying the holidays or wherever it is that you are. I don't really know. Time is weird like that. Um, stay safe, be kind, and we'll see you next week. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Mm-hmm. 
you know, for what it's worth, uh, dog bullshit aside and preamble aside, I think we're having a really good discussion so far. Yeah, I think we're just putting everything aside and we're just trying to replicate what we do on the phone. No. Anyway. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> we're not into cutting it with like, P.U., there's some of them apart. We could. You with me now. We have now the normal hat. Normal hat. <laughs> I'm pushing it down. You guys literally hate the hat. <laughs> Oh, fuck. Okay. <clears throat> All right, Jodie Whittaker herself. <clears throat> okay. 